Welcome to the Obsessed with Real Estate show. I am your host, Alana George, and I am obsessed with real estate. If you're not already following me on Instagram, on this real estate investing and podcast and real estate sales journey, head over there at Alana George underscore real estate. And I'm really excited to share this interview with you. I am here with Jesse Alvarez with at Rehab Hackers, you can see in his cool neon sign, I want to get one of those. He and his wife, Isabel, have a lot going on. They have, you know, their investing company, they are investing in real estate here in California, as well as Suncrest Digital, which is their real estate photography 3D walkthrough company that they do here in Silicon Valley, as well as in Portland. So that is really cool. Thank you so much for hopping on here, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be on here. Yes. I, I love talking about real estate and other people that are obsessed. So this is going to be really exciting. Let's go ahead and dive in to you and your background. What got you into real estate? What were you doing before? Why real estate? Just give us the whole, the background on you. So growing up, I was kind of always around real estate. My grandfather owned some, my mom owned a couple properties I think uh, my first like job when I was in like grade school was riding my bicycle down the street to my grandfather's property and pulling weeds so that he'd buy me a Game Boy. So he had a rental property like literally right down the hill. So I just ride down there every weekend, pull weeds. And at the end of the summer, he got me a Game Boy. So, oh my gosh, um, that's so cool. <laughs> that might age me a little bit. Starting a Game Boy. Out. Yeah. Probably. Everybody's like, that's what's okay. a Game Boy? <laughs> that's okay. So, I think um, everybody's so, kind of in line here. We, I kind of grew up in a family where it was kind of like, yeah, we buy rental properties and we hold them for long-term and we have long-term tenants. And I would say growing up, there wasn't really a lot of strategy. It was more of like, we know that holding real estate long-term is going to work out for you. And if you hold it long enough, it's going to increase in value. And there was never really much talk about cash flow or strategies or anything mm. around that. Yeah. So I guess I kind of always grew up knowing that I was going to some probably own some real estate. My dad is a general contractor up in Oregon. And so I worked for him throughout high school. And so I kind of got the hands-on approach of rehabbing houses and stuff like that. So it was kind of a combination, my grandfather and my mom being a broker, and then my dad being a contractor, and then everybody in my family owning a property or two. Uh, kind of got me involved in it. So that's, that's kind of, I guess, oh from, my God. A, from an early age. I'm so jealous. That is so cool to come from a family with such like real estate in the blood of like a way of life of just buying and holding and just, you know, trusting in the fact that over time, real estate performs, right? Like you said, it wasn't a whole lot of like strategy. It was just, we're buying places and renting it out and that's yeah, going to work yeah. out, right? being patient about it. That is a really cool environment yeah. to live in. So I guess fast forward when I was 19, I got kicked out of my parents' house and I needed a place to live <laughs> and I ended up finding my first deal. So we can go into that later, but that's basically <laughs> okay. how I, I got into it is getting in trouble with my parents and needing okay. a place to live. So it sounds like you went through a bit of a, like a rebel stage. <laughs> what do you, yeah. Can you um, share with us what you got kicked out for? Just arguing with them about everything, you know, typical like 18, 19 year old stuff. Yeah. You just knew everything. Yeah. So right. nothing too crazy at that point. <laughs> That's okay. It just like makes the, your life and story more colorful. 
um, you know, the more trouble you got into. So perfect. Can we jump in, share with us what your current portfolio looks like today? So pretty much every one of our 17 doors is here in Northern California. We do have one out in Phoenix that's actually pending right now. We're selling it to 1031. So if anybody's got a deal for me to 1031 into, let me know. But basically they're all duplexes and triplexes here in Northern California. And so we've been targeting the small multifamily just because the numbers are so good to single family. So that's, that's been our bread and butter and buying small apartment complexes is a little expensive out here. Yeah. Can we jump into that? So I love talking to people who make real estate investing work here, right? Because we are in like one of the most expensive markets in America. So you said duplexes and triplexes, what area are you buying in? What's the price point? What kind of numbers are you seeing on those? So we're, we're based in Tracy, California, which I'm sure you're probably familiar generally where it's at. Cause you're not too far away, but for people that aren't familiar with Tracy, it's in between the Bay area and the central Valley, like where Sacramento and everything is. So it's like the first city over the hill into like affordable land. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when everybody gets priced out of the Bay Area, this is where they move. So it's yeah. a commuter town. But the thing about it is the Bay Area is so full and mm -hmm. there's so much traffic. Everybody has to come out here. So yeah. the growth out here is just explosive. It's insane right. how fast we've been here 10 years now. And I remember when we first moved here, it's like night and day. It's like a different city. And so it's a great place to invest, uh, but it's wild. It's very, very competitive because you get a ton of Bay Area money coming out here yes. and the Bay Area money typically overrides everybody else. So yeah. it's, yeah, they're big dollars usually when they come out here. Yeah, I so, definitely can um, see that. That's basically where we've been is out here in Tracy primarily. We also own a bunch of properties out in Calaveras County. I'm vaguely familiar with that. Gold, gold country, beautiful okay. out there. I, th I thought I took California geography in college and I thought that I passed, but you know what? That was a really long time ago. <laughs> Just think like one hour East from Tracy uh, okay. out into the mountains where it's, we're a little bit under the snow line. So we don't get the crazy snow, but mm. it's, it's country living and it's, it's really nice out there. It's beautiful. Lots of lakes. Okay. Sounds beautiful. So 17 doors, your 1030 property in Phoenix just as a side note, if you didn't find something, you know, you can 1031 exchange into a syndication, right? Yes. Okay. Just double so checking. We, Let we me might know consider that also. We're, we're still looking at our options. Yeah. I always, you know, want to throw that out there because a lot of people don't know that. And if you're coming down to the wire on time, that might be a good option. And then you just, you know, figure it out three to five years later. Right. Yeah, so exactly. Tell us now, we're going to circle back to that very first deal that you got kicked out of your parents' house and you stumbled upon a real estate deal, which is just amazing to me. Tell me more about that. So I was 19, got kicked out of my parents' house and I was sleeping on my best friend's couch and he had moved out already with another one of my friends. It was a two bedroom condo. And I was like, Hey, can I sleep on your couch until I can find somewhere to live? And he said, yeah, sure, go ahead. And eventually I moved up and got promoted to a bedroom because the other right. guy moved out. And a few months go by and his parents who own the condo wanted to sell it. Mm -hmm. They're like, we bought this because we were going through something, but we don't need it anymore. We want to sell it. 
and they asked me they knew my family was in real estate so they asked me like hey do you want to buy it mm -hmm. i'm 19 at the time like i had a couple thousand dollars saved up maybe in my bank account but i wasn't like i didn't have established credit or anything i was like what well, i'm only 19 i don't really have much credit how am i going to buy this and they said well, well if you put down 10 percent, we'll sell or carry the rest of it i wow. said okay so I came up with my 10% down payment, and this is quite a while ago. So 10% wasn't a massive amount of money. Yeah, I had to come up with $6,000 and I uh, gave them the 10% down and uh, was able to sell or carry that for a few years until I refinanced into a 30-year uh, conventional. So that's mm -hmm. how I bought the first place. I didn't even know seller financing was a thing until they suggested it to me. So that is wild that you stumbled across that. I guess kudos to your parents for kicking you out. <laughs> I know, right? They landed <laughs> on yeah, your feet, yeah. right? They, I, if I were them, I would definitely take credit for, for that. So what did you learn from that first deal? Well, the I got into that place because of the opportunity, I think, and the convenience. And mm -hmm. it wasn't because it was a good deal or it was going to be a long-term solid investment. I owned it for quite a while just because I was too lazy to sell it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, it tripled in value over the years and ended up being a decent investment. It's just, it was such a low price point and it was a condo that mm -hmm. the return wasn't the same as if I would have gotten into a, a, a different class of property. So knowing what I know now, I would have been buying a duplex and house hacking or something like that, or right. looking for a triplex, doing something along those lines where the return would be much better. But I think the biggest takeaway is, is when you have a investment that worked for you at the time, but may not work for your current situation, you got to be able to let go. And I was a little emotional. It was like my first property. And so I was like, I don't want to sell it. I like this place. I have family in that city where they can help me manage it and stuff. It was up in Oregon. So I had my dad the general contractor able to do repairs. I had my mom down the street who was a realtor at the time. So like it, mm -hmm. it was easy. Yeah. Um, but I think looking back now, if I would have made some more strategic moves to 1031 into a, a better deal sooner yeah. then it, that'd probably be my biggest takeaway. Yeah. Interesting. It's, and that's kind of comes with like a, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. And so the learning curve of, you know, the strategy definitely, I feel it comes with time and education, but where did you go from there? Cause I think you mentioned you held on to it for a while, you 1031, like how did you get from that to 17 doors? So the next property was the place in, I had moved down to Cal San Jose, California at the time, and mm -hmm. the prices were ridiculous. And I was working out of town every week. I was working corporate and flying all over the country. And I wanted to invest in real estate, but I was like, man, San Jose is, is crazy. It's mm -hmm. expensive. And so I ended up buying my second place in Phoenix. And this is 2011 when they were basically giving stuff away. Yeah. Uh, and so I did an out-of-state investment, found a property manager to handle it for me down there. And I knew it cash flowed really well. And that's the place we're selling right the second that we've held on to for what 12 years and uh, paid 60,000 for the place a three bedroom two bath house oh my god and uh, it's selling for 360 so still not bay area prices but still 6x yeah is, what is that 12 years so 
still no a nice profit. And if it's been, yeah, if no it's been cash flowing this whole time, then it was still a really great buy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then. <laughs> and then I bought my first place out here in Tracy. Uh, and I, I kind of did the single family house hack. So I okay. bought a four what bedroom house. What year was that? What year? That was 2013. Okay. So it was, okay. I was looking for a four bedroom house. Once again, I was almost never home. I was almost always on planes or in hotels. So I was like, I'm going to find a four bedroom house, rent out the bedrooms to roommates that I'm never going to see. And they're going to pay my mortgage for me. So I took and a where loan. did you get this idea? You know, your own brain or did you hear it somewhere? I, I, think, I think in the Bay area where it's normal to have roommates. Yeah. Even in your twenties and thirties, it's normal to have roommates. It's totally normal. And so yeah. I think I was like, wait a sec, my roommate's renting out the two bedrooms in his house and mm -hmm. it's paying for his entire mortgage of this $1 million house. Why can't I do that somewhere else? And I just, I like numbers and math. So I just found a place that it worked and it happened to be Tracy. Okay. So I, I took a 401k loan from myself to get the down payment. And then had three roommates at first and they paid my entire mortgage for me while I was out traveling around. Beautiful. And then did you just keep repeating that? So eventually I probably got more into like the learning aspect of real estate where I mm -hmm. was always on YouTube, always on the the forums and reading bigger pockets, stuff like that. So yeah. I came across the Burr method and that's what we've been utilizing lately. So we're really, really big believers in the Burr method and the power that it can create. So that's kind of what we've been doing is buying duplexes, triplexes, and then burring them. Okay, cool. And we haven't talked about Burr on the show for a while. Do you want to go into defining Burr? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So Burr is B-R-R-R-R, four R's. Four R's, yeah. And the first B stands for buy. So obviously you need to find a distressed property something that you can add value to. So you don't want a move-in ready property unless you can get it so under market rent that it's it mm -hmm. makes sense, but you want something that you can fix up and add value to. So we look for some pretty rough properties that normally you would you would say, oh, a flipper's going to buy that. That's what we are targeting. And do you, um, because we're in the Bay Area, do you buy those cash or are you using hard money? Just curious. Using conventional lending. Oh, so, okay. Most of the time I want to be in a 30 year locked where if things don't go as planned, mm -hmm. I know that I'm always going to be able to pay the mortgage. It's always going to cash flow. It's more conservative than I think what most people do, but yeah. um, it's what I'm comfortable with. So I guess it works. No, yeah, it's obviously working, but that is more conservative. You're so to say not going to get like caught with your pants down if you go to refi, which we haven't mm. got to that R yet, but <laughs> If it, the, you know, the value isn't there, you're not stuck, you know, with a high interest private money or hard money loan or all of your cash locked up. Okay. So buy your, that's how you're buying. With yeah. We're just doing the 25% down conventional loan. And then we go in and we rehab it. So I typically, I don't hire general contractors to do our rehabs because of the experience that I gained from working for my dad for so long. Yeah. I kind of self-manage our rehabs. When we first started out and we didn't have a bunch of money to throw at these projects, it was Isabel and I sitting there painting walls at, at midnight and it slowly turned into, okay, I need to sub this out because I don't have the time to do that. I need to sub that yeah. out. I don't know how to do this. I definitely need <laughs> to sub that out. 
And so I think the more of them, more of these rehabs you do, the more you learn what you do and don't want to do. <laughs> right. Whether you can or can't, yeah. uh, you know, what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're kind of at the point now where we're subbing out a lot more of the rehabs and it's a lot more hands-off as far as me showing up every single day. Yeah. So obviously you rehab it. And when we're rehabbing for a burr, it's not necessarily the same as uh, rehabbing for resale. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people look, watch HGTV and they're like, oh, you got to do the designer cabinets and all this fancy stuff. We plan mm-hmm. on these being long-term rentals. We do a little bit different approach than other people. We want them to be high-end long-term rentals, but we're not going overboard like this is owner-occupied and we need top dollar. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do our rehabs pretty cost efficiently, uh, and then we rent them out. And we're very, very, that's the the second R. Mm -hmm. We're very strict about the tenants that we put in place. Mm -hmm. We give them really nice properties. We do ask top dollar for rents. And we tend to get really, really good tenants. We have never had a tenant over 30 days late ever. Oh, that's good. And how 20 years, I've never had a tenant over 30 days late. So it's, we're very picky about who we rent to and make sure that it's the type of person that wants a nice place, doesn't mind paying extra for it Mm -hmm. and is going to take care of it. Yeah. What are some of the qualities that you look for in a tenant? Income, (laughs) obviously, is probably the most important one. And then credit, obviously. Those are the two biggest ones. And then uh, I also, as long as they meet those requirements and I can tell that they're renting it because they want to live there, not because they have to live there. Yeah. Then I think uh, those are usually the ones that stick around for a while. Okay. I can also look at their rental history and say, okay, they've lived at each place for one year. This probably isn't going to work out. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Looking at their rental history and how long they've stayed at each place. That, oops, that is a really good point. I just kicked my light. (laughs) Perfect. So we got buy, rehab, rent. And now we are on the refinance part. Yeah. So once you've got the buying, the rehabbing, the renting it out, you got to refinance it. And once again, we do just conventional 30 year mortgages. And if we plan on holding that property for a long time, we oftentimes will buy down the rate. Right now, it probably makes no sense to do that with where rates are at Mm -hmm. because we're hoping that they come back down to earth sometime soon so that we can refi into a better one. Yeah. Are you stuck with any properties right now, like with high interest rates or, or? We've got a couple that have happened that we needed to refinance with these higher rates. Mm. we're perfectly fine with that because they still cash flow. Okay. And so we were like, okay, we're going to be giving up some cash flow, but we're able to pull out a big chunk of change to buy another property Excellent. over here, buy another one over here. Um, and so we've we've kind of made some sacrifices on the cash flow side on a few of the properties mm-hmm. uh, while these interest rates and and with the intention of being able to refinance in a hopefully a few months. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. On yeah. That. Perfect. And then the last R is repeat. Yep, of course. (laughs) So you kind of were already alluding to that. You pulled the cash out for more projects to do it again, right? Correct. So beautiful. I love Burr. I did one myself out of state. Did I hire a general contractor or was I subbing? I don't know. No, I did hire a general contractor, I believe, just a cheapo one. But anyways, 
Yeah. So I love birds and I love that you're nearby them. So you can take on more of the work if you wanted to, or even just overseeing, which is cool. Yeah. That is yeah. really cool. So that's your 17 and these are all long-term. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. And uh, perfect. So with where you're at right now, what challenges are you facing? Well, we're about to max out on conventional loans. So that's part of the reason why we're selling the place in Phoenix. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of equity tied up in that place. Plus it's our last single family house that we have left. So the biggest leap right now is finding what we can 1031 into. So yeah. we've got a lot of equity in a lot of these different houses and we'd love to 1031 them into something bigger, yeah. like a four or six unit, something like that. And mm -hmm. then just continuously rehab them and, and 1031 up. But that's the biggest difficulty right now is finding inventory that meets our standards and finding ones where the numbers are better than what we would be selling to buy it. And right now that the prices are so high, the interest rates are so high, it's hard making numbers work. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been pretty fortunate with everything we've bought where the numbers just always work. Yeah. But that's the difficult part, part is finding stuff where the numbers work. And a lot of people are fishing in the same pond. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so everybody's looking for small multifamily or everybody's looking for a certain size apartment complex for the syndication. And yeah. so we've had to get a little creative over the last probably year or so where there was no duplexes to buy. So what we were doing is we were buying large single families and converting them into basically a duplex. It'd be a single family mm -hmm. with an ADU. Yeah. And so we, we're always looking for single family homes that have large square footage, but ideal floor plans that can be split up into two units. That's smart. I was just going to ask you like how creative you're going to get because inventory is really low. It's ridiculously low right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, I've shared this before the interest rates going up to try to stifle the market doesn't really help when nobody's selling. Please. So there's no homes on the market. So we have so many buyers per house. Uh, another route, right? Are you going direct to seller? We have, I skip trace quite a few properties and I try to cold call the owners and see if they're interested We've also been focused a little bit lately on seller financing, looking for those type of deals where we can right. make the numbers work temporarily until interest rates come back down. We're having a little bit of difficulty with that just because the expectations from sellers is, well, if the bank's going to lend you money at 7%, that's what I want too. Yeah. And so that's been the difficult part is convincing them that they deserve less than what a bank would lend us. Right. So, because you would just go to the bank otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, we're having, that makes sense. we're having a little bit of challenge with the seller financing. We've had a bunch of good leads that don't end up working out, but uh, we're still hunting. That's yeah. Well, that would be extra beneficial to you because you said you were maxing out on conventional, which just yep. to remind, remind the yep. listeners that's 10 in your name for residential loans. So finding something seller financing would be beautiful for you. So that's a, that's a great route to take. So yep. what would your advice be for somebody wanting to build a portfolio like yours, who's just getting into real estate? I think the first one is read and watch every single YouTube video, mm -hmm. learn as much as you can. Like when I think I was first starting out, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know what year YouTube came out, but there wasn't the plethora <laughs> of information available. Like yeah. it's almost like an information overload now where you're like, over consuming so much information now, but we're spoiled. Like this mm -hmm. wasn't possible 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, there might've been a couple of people talking about real estate online, but it's nothing like it is today. So get out there, 
learn as much as humanly possible, and then network, network, network. Find somebody that's doing what you want to do and ask them if you can tag along or help with a project or something to get your foot in the door and get some knowledge. Because I think the thing that holds most people back is they're afraid because they don't know. Right. So they get analysis paralysis and they don't jump in because they don't think it's possible. When once you do a couple of these birds, you're like, okay, this is a slam dunk. And when you see that property, you can act on it immediately mm-hmm. because you know it's a slam dunk. Where everybody it. else yeah. is like, I don't know if I should take this deal down or not. And then by the time you decide on it, it's already sold. So right. exactly. Um, Those are very good points. Education. There's so much free education. I wish that I had you know, taken advantage of that when I first tried to start getting into real estate investing, probably 10, 11 years ago. And, you know, I didn't even think about investing out of state. Yeah. It, it was like, not for some reason. I mean, my parents have a rental in Vegas, but you know, I just had this like ingrained thought that like, oh, my first purchase should be local, you know, because of thinking small and, you know, I really couldn't afford something worth buying. I was in Los Angeles at the time, like that was in my price point. And, yeah. you know, knowing what I know now, like that money, which, you know, I did just a prequel with a terrible lender who said that I could buy something in the hundred thousand dollar range, which it wasn't very much, but, you know, had I looked at Phoenix, which was right next door to Los Angeles, yeah. right? Like that, I could have bought something really great. And, you know, just like being open to the ideas and exploring and looking. And I think that that's, you know, really great advice as well as of course, networking. So, you know, shameless plug that one of our next shows, or maybe the show before this, I don't know. I just recorded, you know, five tips for what's that five tips for attracting and maintaining a mentor, because like you said, it's very important, you know, watching somebody go through it, holding your hand, or just having somebody to consult with who has done it is invaluable. Like the confidence that you can gain from that, because some of this can be really scary the first time. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's so many questions. If you don't know, I mean, there's so many things that you can get hung up on just because you don't know the answer to. And so you don't take action and that's the biggest killer. And it could be analysis paralysis. It could be, you know, just not knowing, not just who to ask, but what to ask. Right. Or your own hangups about like personally feeling dumb. Right. Like I never want to feel dumb or that I don't know what I'm doing. So that's something like having to get over, like, okay, I'm not going to have all the answers because this is brand new. So anyways, tangent. The one great thing about going to these meetups is there's several different levels. So you can figure out and network with the people that make you feel comfortable. So uh, getting around the people that are doing what you're doing or getting around the people that are already doing what you want to do can help you out substantially. And so yeah, which I don't know some good ones lately. Did I glaze over and jump over like how that we met at a, a meetup? <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah. So you and I met at a meetup last Christmas from NVST by put on by Josh Baldovino, who was on a previous episode. He did a webinar for us about building a 20 million plus portfolio just from social media. 
right? Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. We had a great turnout for it. Anyways, so we met, yeah, at a Christmas mixer that was really fun, well attended, lots of real estate investors there. I don't even know if we got to chat then, but the way that it was situated, we were able to exchange information. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and here we are talking about real estate and I get to learn from you, right? I don't know if you'll actually learn anything from me, but it's the connections, right? And feeling a part of a community is really important. And so get, you know, get out there, go on meetup. Anyways. The other thing is like when you go to a meetup and you talk to 10 different people and they're all doing what you're doing, you're like, yeah. okay. I didn't think doing a burr in the Bay area was even possible yet. These 10 people are doing it right now. Yeah. So it, it just kind of like, there's a lot of limiting beliefs, especially in the Bay area and California in general, oh, yeah. because of the price points, but no, you can't get cash flow in the Bay area. You can, it might be a different strategy. It might be a different type of property, but there's ways to make it work. And there's people that are doing it. Exactly. And that's why I said, I love talking to people that are making it work here in the Bay area, because there's so many limiting beliefs out there that I hear all the time as an investor, as a realtor, right? About why people can't buy primaries, why investing doesn't work here. So circling back, we were talking about networking, why that's so important, seeing other people do it and giving you the confidence, right. To go out and do the things right. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's you put it so much more eloquently than I would have put it. <laughs> because in my head, I'm like, well, if he can do it, like I can do it, or she can do it, I can do it, right? Which sounds really terrible, but the way you put it's much better. So we'll sometimes that's true, though. You see somebody at the meetup and they've got like 20 properties, and you're like, wait a second. All right, I know I can do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So sometimes the inspiration comes that way, as catty as that sounds. So that's some really great advice. Moving on to our next question. I'd love to know who or what has been the biggest inspiration in your life, you know, whether that's real estate or to keep going, who or what has that been for you? So I think from the real estate side, my grandfather was probably the biggest person that I looked up to. He owned quite a bit of real estate at one point in time, and he liked being hands-on with it. And I remember him being pretty frugal and like wanting to go out there and repair stuff himself and paint stuff. That's what he did on weekends. Yeah. That's how he relaxed. And instead yeah, of sitting at home it. watching TV, he'd go out and mow the lawn of his property or something. So he was, he lived well below his means and he lived a great life and he enjoyed what he did. And so I think without him, I don't think I probably would be in real estate the way I am. And we probably wouldn't be living the life that we are. From a business perspective, one of my directors at my previous job, his name's Dan Diggins, he's kind of like a business father, if that makes any sense. So somebody you look up to and you're like, okay, if I was a boss, that's who I want to be. And so I worked under him for 14 and a half years. And it's somebody wow. that you like showing up to work for, you don't want to disappoint, and they teach you life lessons that you can use in other parts of your life. Mm -hmm. other than just going to work and clocking in. So I would say those two were probably the most influential on, on everything that's happened up to this point. 14 and a half years is a long time. Yeah. It's a it long was. time to be working at any job in my opinion, but 
Okay. I want to circle back and kind of dissect something that you said, you know, your grandfather, which is beautiful. I love that he is such an inspiration to you. And you said, you know, if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be in real estate and you wouldn't be living this life that you're living now. Can you kind of like shed some light on this life that you're living now with where you're at in your real estate portfolio? Are you still working a W-2? Are you financially free? Are you doing full-time real estating? What's going on there? So for about 18, 19 years, I had the golden handcuffs where like they pay you so well that you can't leave. You're like, there's no way I can pass up this type of money. And so you feel obligated to keep a job that you may not like anymore. So the guy just told you about, he ended up retiring and I had a few other bosses after him. And I was like, okay, this is a different world I'm living in now. Like I don't enjoy going to work. I'm making great money, but I don't like what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually quit my W-2 job to focus on our real estate. And I was like, I can make way more money focusing on our real estate than I can working 80 hours a week for somebody else. Yeah. And so the financial freedom and then also the time freedom, that's been the biggest one. So Isabel still has her W-2 corporate job. She gets to work from home. So she's got a pretty cool, gives us some flexibility on what we're doing. Uh, and then what was that about four years ago, five years ago, I was online looking at apartment complexes and I saw a 3D virtual tour and I was like, this is pretty cool. What is this? And come to find out Matterport had just started out and I did the research and I was like, I love technology. I worked for a technology company in the Bay Area for a long time. Uh, I want to learn this and we can use it on our rental property so I don't have to drive out there and show them anymore. And so I started Suncrest Digital, which is a 3D virtual tour and real estate photography business. So that takes up part of my time now. Summer season, spring season is crazy for me with that business. And then winter, it dies down. So typically winter time is more of like rehabs. Summertime, springtime is more of the Suncrest business. So it gives me a lot of flexibility, though, because I can kind of juggle both at the same time, which is nice. Yeah. That's really cool. So you're just, you know, spending all your time on your own business now. Yeah. yeah. So I would say that's pretty free. (laughs) Pretty cool. Something called COVID happened and maybe you heard of it. I think I heard of that. Yeah. And instantly nobody was able to do open houses. So I immediately became like the most popular person in town doing 3d virtual tours for everybody. So the business just exploded. And so a lot of people, unfortunately were out of work and stuff during COVID or sitting Mm -hmm. at home. I got super busy. Uh, So that, that was kind of a gasoline on a fire during COVID. Yeah. That is so smart. You really lucked out on that one as a real estate business. I really didn't Higher, I didn't, you know, order that package of the 3D Matterports until COVID happened and people couldn't come through. And then, so then they could just click through at home. That's, you know, if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen a 3D Matterport walkthrough, you're really missing out. You get to click through the house, like you're walking through it. And then you can like look around and it's like the coolest thing. And it was so important to have during COVID when people weren't allowed to walk through or their restrictions were too great or people were just scared, right? Exactly. There was a lot of people that were just scared. There was a lot of photographers that were scared. You mm. know, it was just such a weird time and I'm so glad that's gone. <laughs> yeah. But the 3D Matterport 
others are here to stay. And I think a lot of people expect them. So I wouldn't yeah. say they're still decently busy with that. They got so popular during COVID because it was a necessity mm-hmm. and now buyers expect it. Mm-hmm. So I go and shoot these houses all the time and I'm talking to the sellers and they're like, yeah, I saw the virtual tour. We're moving to Idaho and I already walked the house, but I haven't been there yet. Yeah. And so they're buying houses out of state based on these 3D tours all yeah. the time. I'll shoot stuff in the Bay Area and it'll be a out of state or out of country buyer that will buy it sight unseen off of the 3D tour. Yeah, that is an amazing point. A lot of people moving out of California still. And so, you know, any realtors listening, if you haven't already stepped up your game right out of state, like this is how you attract these California buyers who are you know, shopping from their computers and they want to walk through the homes before actually going, buying a ticket and going there. That is a really good point. Exactly. All right. That's a good tip there. So let's see. My next question for you, Jesse, is tell me something that you're currently obsessed with real estate related or not. Finding deals. Uh, (laughs) I'll stay up till like 2 a.m. looking for deals. Yeah. And so Isabel has the same problem. We'll stay up all night looking on Zillow, looking on Facebook Marketplace, looking on uh, Realtor.com, Redfin, everything, looking for stuff that just hit the market and trying to do the underwriting on these deals to make sure they pencil out. And Mm -hmm. Uh, We we go to a substantial amount of properties on a yearly basis and kick the tires to see if the numbers actually match Mm -hmm. what we think we see in the photos. Yeah. And so that's probably the biggest thing is finding a deal. It's like the the Easter egg hunt that we just had last weekend. (laughs) Yeah, it's a you're it's a grown up Easter egg hunt is searching for deals. I love that analogy. So I would imagine you probably have, you know, a pretty strict criteria between you and your wife looking at these deals. Can you share a bit about what your buy box is, what you expect, like kind of per door to cash flow? So our buy box has changed significantly lately. And I think we're becoming a little bit more open to other types of properties. We've started looking at midterm and short-term rentals. We Mm -hmm. think those are interesting. We do think the market's a little oversaturated with them right now. And Mm-hmm. especially going into a recession, you might not want to be holding a bunch of short-term rentals unless you have a uh, exit strategy. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at some of those options. Our buy box right now is based off of however much money we're pulling out of the previous property to be able to purchase it with a conventional loan. We don't want to go hard money yet. Mm-hmm. We might in the future, but right now we've been spoiled with just crazy low interest rates and terms that we know that it's low stress. If the market tanks, we can hold on to it for 30 years and it'll go up in value. I think the buy box right now is distressed properties under a million dollars, preferably duplexes, triplexes, quads here in Northern California. Mm-hmm. We're open to larger properties out of state if the numbers made sense and I could find a good general contractor to handle everything and a good property manager. And then, so yeah, we're pretty much open right now. We've got our ears open. We're just looking for something that's where the numbers work. And that's the hardest part right now. So, yeah. Okay. So we do have a lot of realtors listening. So if you find anything that matches that, 
Yeah. Send it to Jesse and uh, you know, you can find him on Instagram. He has his handle right above his head, which is at rehab hackers. And we'll, we'll circle back to your contact, more contact information, you know, towards the end of the show, but that's really great. And I'd love that you both share that obsession of trying to find the next deal, right? Yeah. A lot of times it's one or the other in the spouse, spousal relationship that is a in charge of acquisitions or be obsessed with real estate. It sounds like you both are. We're both obsessed, but we kind of, we have different, she can look at stuff from like a, a more like emotional standpoint. And I look at it from more of like a logical standpoint. And so usually we can come together. Like she can tell me right away, like, no, we're not buying that. And I'll be <laughs> like, well, the numbers work. <laughs> so some, usually we meet in the middle where the numbers work and she agrees that it's a good property that somebody's going to want to live in. Yeah. Okay. I feel like my husband and I are the opposite. I'm not even a numbers oriented person. He is, but he's always like, I had to get him over this. Like, you're not going to live in it. You don't yeah. have to yeah. personally look at something and think I wouldn't live in that. Right. Or I would live in that. Right. So that's our struggle or, you know, balance. I could, we could call it that as well. But how have you found working alongside your wife? Is that something that generally works because of you being yeah. opposites? What's been something uh, that worked? Yeah, no, it, it works. Sometimes I'll explain how I envision a property and she'll be like, why are you going to spend so much money on this property and make it so nice? And when I get done with the property, I want somebody to move into it and like love living there so that mm -hmm. they never want to move. They pay top rent on time every month. And I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but I self-manage all of our properties. So I do all the screenings. I do all the showings. I do all the background checks, all that stuff. Yeah. And I handle all the maintenance. Wow. And so I'm very, very invested into making sure that we have good tenants and that they're happy and that they're kind of our customers. So sometimes that may mean we spend a little extra on something that might not be necessary. We put ring doorbells on all of our properties. We put smart thermostats, all that type of stuff to get people that want to live there. And so that's, we kind of go a little overboard on some of them, but it's working. So we're sticking yeah, with it. That's great. I think that's a really great strategy. You know, the extra money that you put into it to make it nice is going to make up for the money that would have been lost from turnover. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So what is a fun fact about you, Jesse, that maybe people don't know? I mean, I guess everybody I grew up with up in Oregon probably would know this, but I played like every single sport growing up from football to baseball, to soccer, to basketball, to wrestling, to hockey. I, wow. I did basically everything. So like, uh, I'm pretty competitive. And then I also like working as a team on some things. So that's probably people from my California years of my life probably don't know that. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't look not sporty. Well, I'm trying to get back in the gym right now. So yeah, if anybody's watching and they're not going to look at you and be like, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And sports teach you so much in life. That's, I feel like, you know, all kids at some point should play some kind of team sport, Absolutely. Um, you know, or even solo, it teaches you a lot that like being in any kind of extracurricular as far as, you know, putting in the effort and reaping the rewards is like something huge with life. 
So that's really cool that you, I'm sure a lot of the skills from all of those sports has transferred right into real mm-hmm. estate investing in life. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense why you'd be successful now. So what is next for you and your wife and your business or Suncrest Digital? Where are you going from here? We've talked about the 1031. Big picture wise, where do you see your business going? So we'd like to 1031 exchange a bunch of these smaller properties to bigger ones. We want to get into the apartment world. We haven't really considered syndication much, but that might be something that's on the radar in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want to just keep scaling and I would say the snowballing has really started to start occurring over the last probably four or five years since I quit my corporate job. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think before that, it was just so slow because all my time was being consumed by my employer. Uh, So once you take away that employer and you have unlimited time and freedom to focus your energy on what makes sense to you and your financial future, it just changes things. So if there's anybody out there that's going through that dilemma, like, should I quit my job or not? It depends. I thought you were going to give a straight answer there. <laughs> it depends. No, Isabel put out a good reel about this on Instagram a few weeks ago. You don't want to be in a rush to quit your job because it could jeopardize your real estate. Right. So until you've got all the pieces in place to be able to quit your job, uh, I would say that it's a little more risky, but there's a lot of people that do it successfully. They quit their W-2, they jump right into real estate and they kill it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just saying I'm a little more conservative than that. <laughs> yeah. So and I think the approach that you took is is a bit more conservative as well. So, you know, and I feel like I hear this a lot with married couples that one person can make the leap first, right? Of leaving the W-2 to work fully on full-time on real estate and real estate investing. And then the other person, you know, comes can come along later if it feels comfortable or, or if they're that uncomfortable at their job or unhappy, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the business is successful and moving and there's part, roles for them to play in, in the real estate investing business. So that's kind of a good approach to take. And I've seen that. And, you know, whether the wife leaves first or husband leaves first, it's just kind of like up to you and the situation. And, you know, you don't want to not be able to qualify for loans also. <laughs> that's yeah. part of the plan, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's a really cool strategy to take both my husband and I are entrepreneur business owners. So neither of us have the W2 income. So we're like living life on the wild side, like all the time. Yeah. It's really extreme, but I'm a bit of an extremist. So it's also fun. So you could be like us and just jump off the cliff. Just do it. Yep. Isabel would love to jump off that cliff probably. Oh, really? We'll see when that happens. Yeah. Follow along on their Instagram. See when it happens, right? You could be a witness to when she decides enough is enough and jumps off. So touching on that, your Instagram, we'll plug it one more time is at rehab hackers and they put out really great content. So be sure to follow them. Is there anywhere else? Somebody that's the main place to find us. Follow you. Yep. Okay. Just and Instagram. You. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. And if you want to follow the Suncrest digital page, we post a bunch of photos and stuff on there also. Okay, so. cool. And that's just at Suncrest yep. Digital. Yep. Or suncrestdigital.com. Perfect. I love it. I appreciate you coming on here and, you know, telling us how you did it and all of your secrets and inspiration. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, Jesse. And I will see you on Instagram and hopefully at a yeah, meetup. Absolutely. Thank you right. so much.
Perfect. Thank you. Well, that was our interview. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, like, subscribe, support the show for more content like this. And if you are so inclined, I'd love a five-star review. It'll help me in the algorithm and reach more people. That would be wonderful. If you'd like to connect with the show, feel free to go to the website, obsessedwithrealestateshow.com, where you can find all of the resources, all the book recommendations, links to those, as well as submit to be a guest on the show. You can find me on Instagram, follow and reach out at Alana George underscore real estate. I'd love if you reached out and said hello. As well as if you are interested in syndications, my website, clearconnectioncapital.com has a lot of information on what syndications are, why they're beneficial as real estate investments. So check that out. I will see you on the next episode.